If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, the same passage where we were last Sunday, and some of you may see all the younger, friendly faces with us this morning, those that are four-year-olds and up, and that is because we have family worship today, and those of you who are senior adults and meeting adults, you look and you say, oh, that's so cute, I'm so glad they're here with us. For those that have kids sitting with you, you're thinking, how long is the sermon going to be? We're ready to get out of here. It's okay. It's all right for them to wiggle a little bit, to squiggle a little bit. Believe me, um, some of our adults are like that anyway um, during service. So we're just glad that you are here with us today. So Isaiah chapter 9, last Sunday we read verses 1 through 7. Today we're just going to look at two verses, the last two verses of Isaiah chapter 9, of that passage, excuse me. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. So in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand together as we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah writes these words 700 years before the birth of Christ. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Of all the customs and traditions that are associated with Christmas, the the one tradition that I feel sets Christmas apart, I'm talking about secular traditions, by the way, from all the other holidays, it has to be that we give and receive gifts to, to one another on the same day. Now, of course, there are other holidays where we give gifts. There are other holidays we receive gifts, whether it's your birthday or whether it's Mother's Day or Father's Day. But Can you think of another holiday in which almost everyone in America, at least, you're going to give and receive gifts on the same day? See, I think that's what sets Christmas apart from the other holidays, is the giving and receiving of gifts on the same day. And so, in this passage that we just read this morning, and we talked about last week, we talk about, or we read about, the greatest gift that has ever been given to us by God Himself, the gift of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he goes into it right right there, and he says, For to us a, a child is born, to us a son, and what's that next word? A son is what? Given. We don't earn Jesus, we don't deserve Jesus, but He is a gift that is freely given to us. Jesus didn't just appear, He didn't just show up on the scene, but we understand that He was a gift. Not only was He just a gift, but Paul, one time when he was trying to describe how how great, how incredible this gift of salvation that came born of a virgin that was born in a manger, the gift of Jesus Christ, he was trying to describe how incredible this gift of Jesus, this gift of salvation is. And this is what he told the church at Corinth. He said, thanks be to God for his, and he almost couldn't, didn't know how to describe it. He said, for this what? His inexpressible gift. It's almost as if when Paul was trying to describe how great this gift is, it was an unspeakable joy. It was inexpressible that he couldn't even describe this complete gift that God had given us. So this morning on Christmas Eve, the 
the day before we will give and receive gifts to our family members, maybe with our loved ones. I want to take just a moment here together with our church family and look at the greatest gift that we've ever received, the greatest gift that God has ever given, the gift of Jesus Christ. And my hope is that by the end of this message that we'll be able to answer two very simple questions. The first question that I hope we can answer is, what does the gift of Jesus teach us about God? The fact that God gave Jesus, what does it tell us about our Heavenly Father that He would give us this gift of Jesus? The second question I hope that we can answer, not only what does this gift tell us about God, but what does this gift of Jesus tell us about ourselves? This gift of Jesus, we discussed it last week. It was a surprise, wasn't it? It wasn't that the the people of Israel, they cried out for a Savior and all of a sudden, boom, he came. No, they didn't even know what they needed, but God knew exactly what they needed, when they needed it, and how this gift needed to be delivered. And that is when Jesus arrived on the scene. This gift of Jesus, he was a surprise. Jesus was a surprise to the shepherds. We, we, the, the kids recited that just a few moments ago in Luke chapter 2 when the angels, when the host of heavenly angels, they appeared to the shepherds. And by the way, when it says a host of heavenly angels, don't think your, your cute little precious moments with your gold curly hair and your blue-eyed angels. We're talking about an army of angels that appeared while the shepherds, they're just watching their flocks by night. And can you imagine this great light with no electricity that's around, this great light that appeared and an army of angels that is saying that there is a Savior that's been born. It was a surprise to the shepherds. It was a surprise to the wise men as they're told to follow the star. And several years later, you'll find not a baby in a manger, but you'll find a child in a house. And that's when you will find Jesus himself. We know that Jesus was a surprise to Joseph, right? That was not in his plan. Not only Joseph, it wasn't in Mary's plan as well. The gift of Jesus was a surprise. And Jesus, friends, he still is a surprise to us today. In fact, I believe that many Americans today, they don't understand the full meaning and purpose behind the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus, as far as the purpose, they understand what Christmas is about, and they could probably recite that Christmas is Jesus' birthday, but do they understand the deeper meaning as to why he came, the purpose as to why he came? Remember the Israelites, for hundreds of years, they had been crying out for a Savior, They had been longing for a Messiah, but what did they want in the Messiah? They wanted a ruler who was going to come and put Israel back in their rightful place of leadership. They wanted a ruler who was going to come and kick the Romans out of their their place and just say, hey, you're wrong, they're right, and then Israel will be back at the center of the political stage. They wanted a Messiah who was going to come in power. But that's not how Jesus came, was it? No, Jesus came in weakness. He came as a child. He came as a baby. Not only did he come as a baby, where did he lay his head? In a manger. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself sending himself through the, in the flesh, born in a manger to a poor family. Nothing significant about Mary or Joseph. They didn't have a, a great reputation about them that people would have, have lauded who they were. Not only that, but where did this poor family come from? From Bethlehem. Bethlehem was such an unassuming town that when Nathaniel, when he hears that the Messiah, that his parents would be from Bethlehem, he would come from Nazareth, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? By the way, Jesus, when he comes, he doesn't come as his great political leader, does he? 
He doesn't make these great political sweeping cultural changes during his time. In fact, when Jesus comes, and weakness is what most people would say, when he comes, he comes as this wandering teacher, this wandering leader. And how does the story end with him on earth? It ends with him dying. Surely this isn't the way that God would send his gift of salvation. A leader, a baby born of a virgin that would be born and lay his head in a manger to a poor family that would come from Nazareth and eventually he would die? This can't be the way that it's supposed to go. That's why after he died on the cross, most people looked at him and they said, surely that can't be God's gift of salvation. Forget about him because this isn't a way that God would have the story end. And because of that, most people of Jesus' day, they ended up rejecting him after his death on the cross. Why did they reject him? Because Jesus didn't come the way they were expecting. He didn't come in the shape and the form or the fashion in which they were expecting. And friends, for that exact same reason, so many people today in America reject the gift of Jesus. You see, the Jewish people, they wanted a Savior. But they wanted a Savior who was going to come in and take care of all of their problems. They wanted a Savior who was going to point the finger and say, you're wrong, and put the Israel back at the center of the stage. But don't we do the same thing today? Isn't it easier for us to look at our unhappiness, to look at our problems and to say, well, it's their fault. And we can point our fingers, we can cast blame on everyone else and say, it's my parents' fault, it's my upbringing's fault, it's my teacher's fault, it's my kid's fault, it's my in-law's fault. If all of this would just, if they would just go away, then finally I would be happy. It's so easy for us to say, if I had a different job, if I had married someone else, if I just had more money, if there is a God, the God that I read in the Bible, then why doesn't this God come into my world and fix all of my problems, all of these external circumstances, all of these difficulties that I'm facing? God, if you really are God, why don't you come in what? In power and take care of all of my problems. Then I'll know, then I'll be able to trust that you really are God. And so many times, Jesus doesn't show up the way that we want him to. He doesn't show up with power and remove all of our difficult situations. He doesn't remove all of the trials that we go through. So we just tend to skim over Jesus. Sure, we may come at Christmas Eve. We may come on Easter or Mother's Day if our mom asks us to come. But do we truly believe, friends, that Jesus Christ has the power to come and radically transform our lives? Because if you read God's word and you understand and you read the story of Jesus' life, what you will discover is the basic problem that we have in life, guess what? It's not out here. It's not other people. The basic problem we have, it's not looking at our external circumstances. The basic, deepest problem that we have is within our sinful human hearts. It's our sinful, selfish desires that we have. You see, friends, we are so self-centered We are so focused on our desires, on our wants, on our wishes. And hear me on this. Our basic primary problem isn't other people. The basic primary problem that we have in life is our own pride. Let me just cut to the chase here for a second. If God came in the way that you wanted him to, the way that that I tend to want him to, the same way the Israelites wanted him to come 2,000 years ago, if he came in power and took care of all the issues that you had, he put all the people that had wronged you, puts them in their place, and all the problems in your life are gone, would you finally be happy? Maybe for a minute or two. But guess what would happen the next five minutes? 
You'd have more problems. You'd have more enemies. You'd have other issues that would come into your lives that would step into its place. And what you and I truly need is someone who will come and deal with our sin, someone who will come and die for our sin. We don't ultimately need someone that will come and give us peace with our enemies or come and give us peace with those outside of ourselves. What we needed was a Savior who would come and give us peace with God Almighty. And here's the good news. That's the gift that we celebrate at Christmas. That's the gift that God gave us in his holy son, Jesus Christ, who came so that we, who Paul says at one time, we were enemies of God, but now we receive the inheritance because of the gift of Jesus Christ. See, God surprises us with this gift. He surprises us with this gift that you and I, we didn't even understand that we needed it, but thank God we serve a God who knows us better than we know ourselves, and he knew that's exactly what we needed. So friends, the message of Christmas is that our pride, that our selfishness, that our self-centeredness, that our sin, guess what? It's been dealt with by a holy God. And how did he deal with our sin? How did he deal with our self-centeredness? By sending Jesus Christ to redeem us from ourselves. It's the greatest gift we could have been given. Jesus came so that we might be freed of our sin, that we might be freed of our own pride and self-centeredness. And we see not only is this gift of Jesus, not only is he a, a surprise, but he's also a gift of grace. A gift of grace that we've talked about already that we can't earn, that we can't deserve. Because listen to me, if you could earn salvation, if there's some way that maybe you thought that you deserved for eternal life more than your neighbor, more than the person down the street, if you thought, well, at the end of my life, I, I'm, I'm counting my, I'm putting all my hope, my, my treasure in the fact that I think I've done more good than bad. I think I've lived a better life than, than so-and-so down the street. So surely God's going to allow me into heaven. If that's your hope, then salvation's not a gift, is it? If you could earn your salvation, if you could do enough good deeds in order to, to get access into God's holy heaven, then that wouldn't be a gift. What that would be would be a wage. What that would be is a payment for something that you have done. But friends, since Jesus Christ has been given to us, then we recognize that Christianity, unlike every other religion that we know, it's built 100% upon God's grace that is given to us. Let me show you how, how amazing this is. I want you to imagine that you have a coworker, okay? Maybe a family member. Let's just say a coworker, though, that, that works with you. And this coworker, for some reason that you can't even fathom, you can't understand, they can't stand you. Okay, their goal in life is they want to ruin your reputation. They want to ruin your name. They want to drag your name through the mud. And you have tried to, to make peace with them, but you just can't do it. So then at Christmas comes around, are you thinking, okay, this person that has made my life miserable, that's ruined my name, that's ruined my reputation, how can I give them the most thoughtful, meaningful, expensive Christmas gift that I can give them? How many of you would do that? Don't raise your hands, all right? We're not going to lie on Sunday morning in church. That's not what you would do. You wouldn't think, well, this person who's been so terrible to me, how can I reward them? How can I show them how much I love them? But you know where I'm going with this, don't you? That's exactly what the Bible says that God did for us. That even while we were still sinners, not because we were righteous, not because we cleaned up our act, not because we came to church, even in our sinfulness, after all that we had done against and to God himself, he came and gave us the greatest, most ultimate gift that he could have given us, the gift of Jesus Christ himself. 
And I want you to think about this. There's not a greater gift that God could have given. Out of all the gifts, out of all the ways that he could have given you a gift, the greatest gift that he could have given you and me is the gift of his son, and that's what he gave us at at Christmas. See, other religions will say, well, if you just obey this code, if you say this, if you do this, if you act this way, then maybe you can earn access into eternal life. But that's the exact opposite of what Christianity says. Christianity says that, that salvation is a what? Total gift. It's free. Why? Because unto us a son is given. You say, well, what do I, re- what do I receive if I accept this gift of eternal life of Jesus Christ? I'm so glad you asked that question. It's a great question. If we accept this gift of Jesus, what is it that we receive? Well, first and foremost, you become, I mean, first and foremost, you receive full and complete pardon for your sin. All of your mistakes, all of your transgressions, you are counted as free from those sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus had no sin, had never sinned, and he made Jesus Christ sin himself. Why? So that in Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We have been given full and complete pardon. No more guilt, no more uh, uh, worrying about your past because you have been forgiven if you are in Christ. Not only have you been given full and complete pardon for your sin, you become a child of God. John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You and you receive the gift of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven, full and complete pardon of your sin. You become a child of God. And and third and finally, and there there are many more than this. I'm just limiting it to three this morning. You inherit eternal or everlasting life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, what? Should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Friends, you see, Jesus becomes your righteousness. His moral record, all of the things that he does, his righteousness is accredited to your account. It is transferred to you so that you become a child of God, that you you receive eternal life, that when God looks at you, he sees you through the lens, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees you as holy, spotless, blameless, and pure, and that is given to you, and that is the free gift that is given to you when you accept the gift of Jesus Christ. So far this morning, we've talked about this gift of Jesus and what it means, that what it tells us about God, that it's a gift, that it comes as a surprise, that it's a gift of, of, of sacrifice, of eternal life. But now, in our remaining moments, I want to turn the table, I want to change the tune a little bit, and I want us to see what does the gift of Jesus tell us about ourselves. You see, how you respond to a gift, how you respond to that gift that's given to you tomorrow, it tells you a lot about, a char- about your character. You can tell a lot about someone by how they respond or how they receive a gift. Do they feel like, oh, yeah, I deserve that gift. I'm ungrateful. I, I, you should have done that for me. Or do they understand that when you are given a gift, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, that it's so freely given to you without merit? And Jesus gives this incredible illustration in, in Matthew chapter 13 that we're not going to read this morning, but I'd encourage you to read it, Matthew chapter 13, um, verses 47 and 48. And he talks about how the understanding of this value of this gift. 
And in this illustration that Jesus gives, he says that he compares the kingdom of God to an expensive pearl. And the story goes somewhat like this. It's like if this, there's this pearl merchant, okay? So for a living, he goes and he buys pearls. And he is going along the road one day, and he finds this man who's selling a batch of pearls. So while he's looking at these pearls, he grabs this one pearl out of the batch, and he recognizes that this one pearl, that it is worth infinitely more than all the other pearls that are in that batch. So he takes this pearl that he wants to purchase, and he goes to the guy who's selling the pearls, and he says, all right, guys, how much would you sell me this pearl for? Because remember, for a living, he can tell a bad pearl from a good pearl and a good pearl from a world-class pearl, and he knows there's something special about this. Well, the guy who's selling the pearl, he can tell this guy's excited about it, and he knows that he does this for a living. So he comes up with this extravagant price, and he throws out a value and says, this is how much you're going to have to pay for this pearl. Well, what's interesting is that pearl is that he charges him for, it's equal to what this pearl merchant's net worth is, everything that he owns. So what does a guy do? The Bible says that he goes and he sells everything that he has, and he comes back to the guy and he buys this pearl, and he walks away with this pearl owning nothing else other than this pearl. And Jesus says that he walks away with joy. Doesn't make much sense, does it? So you're telling me that this guy walks away with a small little pearl, got rid of everything else that he owns, and yet he has this joy in his heart. How can he have this joy? He has the joy because he knows that this pearl is worth infinitely more. It's worth a thousand times more than what he bought it for. And he walks away knowing that he has just made the deal of his lifetime. Let me remind you of the gospel message. Let me remind you of this gospel that we celebrate this Christmas Eve. And that is that Jesus Christ, he came in weakness, not in strength. He came to die, that he had a purpose and it was to come and die to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins so that we might inherit eternal life, that we might have the righteousness of God imparted to us. That is the gospel. So here's my question for you this Christmas Eve. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to that gift of Jesus that has given you eternal life, that through his life that we could have eternal life? Do you recognize the value of this gift that has been given to us? Do we recognize it just like that pearl merchant understood that even if he had to sell everything in order to gain that one small pearl, he would have the joy in his heart because he knew that he had made the, the, the deal of a lifetime? See, here's one thing you won't hear preached in many churches today. You'll hear preached, well, if you just accept the gift of Jesus, then you have eternal life and salvation. You can go on your merry way. That, that's great, and don't hear me say it. Don't, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. The gift of salvation is free. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. But what you won't hear preach is that before you can accept the gift of Jesus, what did that pearl merchant have to do in the first place? He had to go and sell all that he had. He had to deny himself, and then he could put Jesus first in his life. You see, now am I saying that that means you got to go be poor and sell everything? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Jesus himself, that if you want to follow me, you must first what? Deny yourself. That if we will first deny our selfish desires, our will, our sin, and we would deny that, then and only then can we put Jesus first in our life. We love the part about putting Jesus first, but we don't like the part where we talk about denying our own sinful, selfish desires. 
Remember the old hymn writer? The world, what? Behind me, what's before me? The cross before me, no turning back. Before we can put the cross in front of us, we must put our own self, the world, behind us. And when you do that, when we lay down our own desires, when we deny ourselves in order to follow Jesus with all of our heart, then we will put Jesus first in our life. And when we do that, that is when we will find, just like that pearl merchant, the ultimate joy that we have been longing for because we will realize that in denying ourselves and accepting the gift of eternal life, we have just made the deal of a lifetime. So answer this question before you go to bed tonight. Before you wake up on Christmas morning, how would you answer this question? Do I have the same joy that that pearl merchant had? Do I have that same joy that I could sell everything and all I had is this one pearl? That's the kingdom of God, that I would have Jesus and I would walk away filled with joy. Thousands of years ago, people in Bethlehem, they missed the meaning of the birth of Jesus because all they saw was this poor family from Bethlehem, this baby that was born in a manger, that he came in weakness. And sadly, that's how many people in America view Christianity today. It's just a religion of weakness. If you accept Christ, if you go to church, there's a bunch of rules you've got to follow. It's going to take all the fun out of your life, and you're never going to have the, the fun that the rest of the world is having. But friend, if you have the joy of that man that had that, that purchased that great pearl, if you understand the value of what you have been given if you're able to walk away with joy in your heart saying, I've got this pearl, I've lost everything else, but I have this pearl, then and only then will you, will you be able to say anything else is worth it. Whatever cost I have to pay, whatever trial I go through, whatever difficulty I face, it is all worth it because of this indescribable gift. Because whatever pain, whatever trial, whatever tragedy that I go through here on earth, I know that it's temporary based on the joy that I will receive for all of eternity because I have been given the gift of eternal life and I will hold on to that pearl. I will hold on to the gift of Jesus Christ because I know that he is infinitely more valuable than anything else that this world could ever give me. Have you ever received a, an expensive gift from someone that totally caught you by surprise? Maybe it was an acquaintance that you had. You were just a, a casual friend. And, and at Christmas, they give you this gift that it just blows you away, that you can't, can't believe that they would give you this expensive, valuable gift. What is it that they're trying to tell you when they give you that gift? They're trying to tell you that you are worth more to me than you even know. You're worth more to me than I can even express to you. Look at this expensive gift that I've given you. I want you to know how much I care about you. Friend, at Christmas we celebrate the ultimate gift that's ever been given to you. The gift of Jesus Christ. But until we recognize, until we see the true value of this gift that has been given to us, then we will constantly question and wonder, why is it so difficult to obey him? Why is it so difficult to obey all these boundaries and limits that he puts me in? And, and the reason you say that is because you don't understand the value of the gift you've been given. 
But once you clearly see the value of the gift of Jesus Christ, it's then that you will see following him, not as a burden, not as shackles around your feet that's keeping you from fun, but you will see that this gift that's been given you leads you to a a place of joy and honor to keep and obey his commands. We're going to close this morning with a hymn, a hymn by one of the great hymn writers um, that talks about from Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And I want to read to you the first and the last stanzas of this hymn. And as I read these, I want you to see how this hymn writer understood the value of the gift of Jesus that had been given to him. The first verse says this, that when I survey the wondrous cross, that cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. Does it remind you of the pearl merchant? Sold all that he had, but he gained Christ. And I pour contempt on all of my pride. And he ends at the last verse with, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. You can't outgive God. Love so amazing, so divine. What does it demand? It demands my soul, my life, my all. So I want to ask you a question as we close this morning. Is there an area of your life in which you're not obeying our Lord and Savior? Is there an area of your life that you are, 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 are keeping from obeying His commands because you don't understand the value of what's been given to you? Is there an area of your life where you're living a lack of integrity? Maybe there's lack of, you have some hypocrisy in your life because you try to act one way on Sunday and you live your life a different way. Do you understand the value of this gift of Jesus Christ that was given to us so many years ago so that we might have eternal life. If that's you, I want to encourage you as we sing this hymn of invitation, would you just confess it to God? Would you say, God, I'm sorry for for not living a life filled with integrity. I'm sorry for, for being hypocritical in this life. I'm sorry for not obeying you completely because I haven't recognized the price that you paid so that I might have eternal life. Friends, here's my encouragement. My encouragement is that you will find a Savior not waiting to give you a guilt trip, not pointing his finger in judgment at you, but you will find a Savior who is willing and waiting to forgive you and to welcome you with loving arms and to say, welcome back. I never left you. I've been right here all along. And this Christmas, would you, for the first time, maybe understand the value of this gift of Jesus Christ? And let's move forward as we worship. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing. Dearly Father, we thank you for this indescribable gift that you have given to us through the gift of Jesus. This Christmas, we worship you and we thank you that you took on human flesh. We thank you that the story doesn't end in a manger, but it goes throughout your life and that you died upon the cross, not because you were guilty, but because you paid for our mistakes. And on Easter, you rose again and that you are alive today, and that you desire for each and every one of us to have that intimate, personal 
not ritualistic, but a personal relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today on this Christmas Eve that has never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would repent of their sins and they would turn to you, find you, and that you are waiting and willing and desiring to save them today. For the rest of us that are followers of yours, I pray that we would draw closer to you, that we would be in awe of this gift that you have given us. So as we worship and as we sing, would you accept the sacrifices of our praises? We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.